I'm Chris Stanzel with Empower Hour. I'm Victoria Zamatello with Empower Hour. So it's been a a very easy and uh, peaceful two months, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I was so happy that I, I got a break and got to do absolutely nothing for the months of August and September. <laughs> Yeah, and of course, politics has just been a breeze, you know, nothing major, nothing. No, I, I did, wasn't there a debate or something like two two days ago? Yeah, I. it was something about like two homeless men like yelling at each other. Um, I don't want to get it confused with the presidential debate because I oh, heard well, yeah, of course. coming up later this month. Yes. Well, um, let's, let's talk about that. Uh, let's talk about that presidential debate a little bit. Oh. Um, I've seen a lot of conversation, post-debate analysis, where they kind of talk about what did he say, what did he say, or what did Trump say, what did Biden say? Um, and I, I was kind of going to go in with this with a similar thing. You know, I was going to get my notepad with like quotes. I was going to put clips in here. I might still do some of that. But then, you know, upon like with my pencil or with my notepad, I just realized how incoherent the entire affair was and how it's the equivalent of like, trying to like pick like cherries out of a pile of shit like yeah you're not it it the whole thing is moot the, the, mm-hmm. the everything they said is pretty much moot because of everything surrounding the debate uh and the debaters themselves so i think uh i would definitely like to hear much more of like what was your like inward expectation going in and the slow collapse of what little expectation you might have had uh, by the end. So an interesting little thing about me is that I have never seen Donald Trump debate live before. Um, In 2016, my parents weren't as politically involved as like, I guess I am right now. So whenever the debates came on, like I was, I think I was working most of the time, honestly, Mm -hmm. but I just didn't see Donald Trump debate before, uh, yesterday the day before the day before um and the crazy thing was to me is like I walked in I walked in like maybe expecting him to not follow the standard rules of debate in the same way that Joe Biden in the same way I expected Joe Biden to follow said rules I did not expect whatever that was I did literally I have never seen someone argue worse than Donald Trump. I have never seen someone debate worse than Joe Biden, though. Allegedly, it was 90 interruptions. If I'm, I might be, I don't know if I'm getting this wrong, but 90 interruptions in 90 minutes, and 72 of them were with Donald Trump. Jesus Christ. So, you know, it's interesting. I have, so I saw, I remember Trump from the very beginning. I watched the very first Republican debate in 2015. Uh, cause it was a joke, you know, it was a big joke. Stuff like this, this was like the first debate where like, this isn't a joke anymore. Like, this is not funny. <laughs> it's not funny anymore. Like I'm the laughing. The music just stopped playing for a second and you're like, Yeah, oh. it's, like, it's, it was just so mean spirited. I mean, I know that's like such like a obvious thing to say with the state of the election, but it's like, it's just, it's interesting where it's just like, it really is the first time you see the two opposing sides on one battlefield really do even though i don't really count biden as the leader of the opposition that would be laughable that's true but symbolically the leader of the opposition um and but with trump 
you know, we talk a lot about like Biden's mental decline, his slow mental decline. You know, you watch videos of Joe Biden from 2012, the 2012 debate, 2008 debate, sharpest tech, you mm -hmm. know? Obviously that's not the case anymore. But I think we also underlook that the fact that Trump is, has also suffered some form of, either, you can either call it mental decline or you can just call it like the, the spiral of his ego. Like the, you're, we're literally watching his ego get shredded before our eyes. I think people are also saying like that he had a stroke in November or something like yeah, that. Yeah, there's a, well, yeah, of course he said that it wasn't a stroke, but yeah, yeah. there, there is a lot of evidence. And in 10 years from now, whenever all the books are published and we're dissecting his presidency, I'm sure it'll come out that he did have a stroke. But regardless, you compare him to 2015, way more insecure, way more just all over the place. Crude attempts yeah. at humor, but it was so hollow, mean-spirited, and just like angry fill, fulfilled that it's just like the whole debate just had like a horrible taste in the mouth, even if you take aside all the politics. And that was that was the thing for me, because I think I was expecting more of a 2016 debate Trump when I looked, when I originally started watching the debate. And I expected him to do the stuff that he did. I just didn't expect him to just like see that he was making a fool of himself and not stop. I expected him to see like, oh, okay, like people are probably going to call me out for this when this debate is over. Let me like rein back a little bit. Like there was, there was none of that. He saw what he was doing and he continued to F it up. So let me ask you this. What do you think, or who do you think won, quote unquote, won the debate? I'll tell you my answer right now. Nobody. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> not a single person won that to me. Nobody. Uh, I mean, even like, uh, hate to give him airtime, but it, I, mean, I was on Twitter and even Ben Shapiro was like, no one won that debate. America lost this debate. And I was like, that's true. That's true. I like, <laughs> my question is, um, a lot of my friends who happen to be on the other side of the aisle are saying that it was the worst debate for Trump, but they said that Biden was just as bad, if not worse. Do you think that's true? So I watched the debate. So the the first day I watched the debate, so on Tuesday, I watched it. I tried to watch it from the perspective of like a Trump supporter. Um, and then when I rewatched it, I, I tried to try to watch it from the perspective of like a Joe Biden supporter. Uh, or at least, you know, like a, a true neoliberal Biden supporter. Um, and it was interesting because I think it's, well, if you're a Democrat, you could say, Joe, of course, you'll say Joe Biden won. But if you're a Trump supporter, you could probably come away and say he won. Now, in my personal analysis, I do think Joe Biden edges it out just because I think there's a lot of Republicans that were embarrassed by his performance, um, at least like the Republican punditry was embarrassed by his performance uh, because he was so, uh, basically mostly because of the fighting with Chris Wallace, which was just ridiculous uh, at a certain point. Yeah. But the one thing that did strike me when I was watching it the first night um, from the perspective of a Trump supporter was Biden, what, if you, even if you take away like all the rudeness and all that stuff and the policy substance, Biden did come off as weak physically weak yes weaker. okay yeah and i think usually in republican circles 
uh, that has, at least by my observation, been much more of a metric of what Republicans gauge these debates by. Trump won all the Republican debates, not because he was like, he had better points or he was like, um, you know, more intellectual or he, he knew more about policy. He was just the strongest in the room. He, yeah. was the, he came off as the most dominant person in the room. And in that debate, even though he was very rude, and I think, like I said, I think that does irk a lot of the Republican elite. As from a, from a you know, just normal Joe Republican standpoint, he did come off as much stronger than Joe Biden. Because Joe Biden, better for better or for worse, showed restraint. And I wanted to ask you what you thought. Do you think Joe Biden showing restraint in uh, this sort of situation was beneficial to him or detrimental? Honestly, I think he should have shown more restraint. That was actually one of my first talking points. Uh, he bought into a lot of the personal attack, not a lot, but some of the personal attacks that Trump made at him. And like certain ones are understandable. Like you should defend your children when they're being wrongfully accused of literal crimes. But uh, doing stuff like calling Trump a clown like, I think that's where he faltered. But the silver lining to that is that most of the MAGA people, like immediately after the debate, one of the first things I did was look at Twitter and just see what people were talking about. And it looked like a lot of the MAGA side of Twitter was attacking Joe Biden, not for what I thought they would, because they were attacking Joe Biden for calling Trump a clown. And they're saying, oh, they can never talk about when they go low, we go high again. Like they were talking about how apparently Joe Biden sank to Trump's level by calling him a clown. And I kind of see that as a good thing because I feel like otherwise they would have been attacking Biden for like the slip ups he made when he spoke. And they would have like made derogatory comments about his mental degradation, which he, he literally has a stutter and man's probably has dementia. So like, you can't really make fun of those things. So I see it as like, he probably shouldn't have bought into the personal attacks because I don't think that's very presidential, no matter who you are, but there is a silver lining to it. See, that's interesting. Cause I, I'm a little bit more split on it. So um, obviously for who Joe Biden is and, and for who his like core supporters are, He's completely in character not to fall for those sorts of attacks and to be the more presidential person in the room. On the other hand, I do believe that in this sort of uh, climate, you there's a certain level of needing to fight fire with fire, of populism versus populism, because you, consistent, consistently in American politics, the populist, it, not, not primaries necessarily, but definitely in the general election, the populist normally wins. The, the populist, loud talking, rude-ish, or just the person willing to just get their, their words in is usually the one who wins, especially during times when you have a very insecure country, even though Trump's fucking caused most of the problems, but it does stand by the point that people wanna feel like they have a fighter. Even if that fighter is rude, disrespectful, they want to feel, they want someone to get irrational. Ang ang uh, not everybody, but I think a lot of people want somebody to get irrationally angry for them on live television. And like I said, if Biden's trying to court some of these angry, disgruntled voters that either are not voting um, or are like 50 or, or like might vote for Biden, but you know, if their alarm clock goes off an hour late on election day, they're not going. 
You know, like they're not motivated to vote for him. Um, I think this might be kind of a calling card to some of those voters. Um, because like I said, Joe Biden's going to get the kind of the, for lack of a better term, you know, the, the, uh, the elite Democrat class are the ones who are really focused on uh, this sort of presidential meter. For some of them, that's like their main voting point is, are they presidential? That's, that's some people's main voting point. Ultimately, I don't think that's, I don't think as many people care about presidents being presidential, obviously, uh, or Trump wouldn't have won, as uh, I think is, is sometimes thought. So I, I would like to hear your, your thought on that. It reminds me of how people like Bill Clinton when he was the president and how people like uh, Obama now that he's out of the office, like it seemed like people really liked them as presidents, not because of moments where they were presidential. Like, yes, those were good moments, but also the moments where like they're the young, hip, like cool dude, like seeing Bill Clinton on playing the saxophone on TV or whatever. Like my mom will literally tell me exactly where she was when she saw that the first time. And like uh, Obama at his last, uh, what's that one dinner that's at the White House? The correspondence dinner? Or I the think so. White House correspondence dinner is one of them. Yes. Yes. Like where he like he was just making jokes about how yeah, like, the... he hasn't lost an election and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Like people like a, a savage president. And I guess that, that could be what Joe Biden was trying to play towards. Like I said, I think it's that's why I said I'm kind of like divided on it because we could it would have been nice to have a Democrat who was like that, but I think if Joe Biden had attempted to do that it would come off as um, not genuine because yeah. that's not who he is. And yeah. people know who's, people know that's not who he is. So if he was like yell at people, he would be out of character um, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't, it would maybe do a little bit, but it would be very, it would be very odd to a lot of, um, of his core supporters if he were to start behaving like that. So what do you think about uh, Trump? Trump had the line, he said it like three times, you just lost the left. You just lost the left. You just lost the radical left. <laughs> Did you not see what I tweeted? <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't been on Twitter in like two days. <laughs> I, I, was, I said, uh, hold on. Let me pull up my Twitter. Hey, Ayo, at Real Donald Trump, as a member of the radical left, I promise you most of us are still probably voting for Biden. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, I think, because I can kind of... I don't want to say like he's right, but I think it wasn't that that was a true statement necessarily, but Trump was baiting Biden by saying. Yes. Okay. Yes. Because, yeah. Like, it looked like Trump was trying to get Biden to like second guess his policy or something like that. But I feel like Biden is probably very sure of the fact that there is a good number of people in the radical left who are going to vote for him no matter what. See, I don't know. Like I said, I mean, coming from the perspective of someone who's um, put it lightly more on the undecided side of these, of this debate, just because of five years of fucking democratic shenanigans and bullshit. um, I think what Trump was doing was to make Biden distance himself basically moving the overton window live on television okay Um, yeah he was trying to get biden to say that he's not a member of the radical left right basically saying um you know he he, and he baited him like you know joe biden would be like 
oh, I have a, you know, I'm going to tackle climate change. Trump says, ah, what about the Green New Deal? Biden says, well, fuck the Green New Deal. I don't support that bullshit. Yeah. You know, that's pretty much what he said on stage. And so basically Trump had him on the defense. Like Joe Biden could have flipped that script on Trump and been like, hey, why don't you support this Republican policy? And what about like this Republican policy? I don't know. I, I kind of liked the way Biden handled it only because it, it reminds me of earlier in the debate when they were talking, I forget what they were talking about, but it was the first time they started talking about like what Biden's platform is. And Trump was talking, oh, it was about health insurance. Uh, Biden like mentioned that he's going to allow privatized health care to still exist under his health care plan, like under the changes he wants to make to Obamacare. And Trump was literally sitting there going, no, the the socialists in the Democratic Party want there to be no private health care. And Biden's like, I am the representative of the Democratic Party right now. You, it is my platform. I am the person who decides the platform at the end of the day. And I'm telling you, that is not what's happening. And I thought that was a very interesting moment where Biden not only like distanced himself from the left and said like, okay, the left isn't going to get away with everything, which I like understand because he's not going to get elected on a fully left ticket. But I think he has incorporated a lot of the factors of like the green new deal into the biden plan or whatever he's calling it like he's he's established that he's not a member of the left and he did so during the debates or a member of like the far left and he did so in the debates but i think also his platform does appeal to some people further on the left only because it's it's compromise I guess it's like I said, because when I look at it from um, when I watched the first time from a Republican point of view, it just gave me the impression of, oh, Biden supporters are divided and weak because, you know, because Trump embraces his 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 right flank. Biden, you know, distance himself from his left flank. So, I mean, but that's to, to, to be fair, that's traditional Democratic Republican um, like dynamic for the past 30 years. So that's nothing new. But from a Democratic standpoint, so when I watched it today, I don't think it was terrible. Like I said, I do think Biden did eke it out in this debate. I don't know what the fuck they had him on, but he's definitely more coherent if you if you discount all of the Trump interrupting him parts, which wasn't fair. Um, he was more coherent than, than he definitely was in the Democratic debates. Um, I guess my, I'm still a little... <laughs> To put it mildly, I'm a little like hesitant to to believe him when he says that, you know, he's incorporating this, he's incorporating that. I still remember the quote of, you know, nothing will fundamentally change under my presidency. Yeah. And I don't know. I think that's I, I think it I think it the part I don't I don't know is how where the base kind of stands. Like are we really to the point where it's just like, it's so bad. There's like nobody, it's just about getting Trump out. Now. No one's even thinking about the issues anymore. Or there's still a lot of silent voters or a, a silent like non-voters who this is still, uh, this is the thing keeping them away from the polls. I, I think a lot of it is, it, I'm voting for Biden and I can say that with confidence right now, but I'm not voting for Biden because I like Biden. I he's not a good person. I don't think he's going to be a great president. I don't think he's going to further some great change within America in the same way that Democrats do. He's going to be a return to the status quo. 
but I think that's what we need right now. I would much rather have four more years of like neoliberalism and like I I'd rather have four more years of a Donald Trump presidency minus all of the crazy radical right shit that Donald Trump brings to the table. Because that's exactly what a Biden presidency is. It would be Trump without the Trumpiness for four years. And I'm perfectly okay with that. I'd rather have that than Trump with the Trumpiness. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. I mean, that this this is its own episode where we're, we're, we're slowly edging towards right now the whole Joe Biden question. At least, so as far, at least as far as the whole losing the left thing, I definitely wasn't happy to see him like publicly, very publicly moving away from those policies, like as quickly running to the right, which is always the democratic strategy, run to the right, and has been the democratic strategy Mm. for 30 years. I question if that is a good strategy this time around, because what moderate Republican voters is he trying to court right now? Because there aren't any left. I think he is... I think he is banking on winning all of the moderates because I'm sure there are a lot more moderates on either side of the aisle combined than there are people in the radical left at this point. So I think Biden's probably more okay with losing some of the left to appeal to the moderate than he would be to lose all of the moderate to appeal to some of the left. I mean, I guess the the literal term, the left, is kind of I don't know, misleading or if, if we're just uh, if we're just including like socialist Twitter and, and everything surrounding <laughs> socialist Twitter, uh, then I agree. That's a he, he, he can afford to lose socialist Twitter and socialist Reddit if he wants. But I uh, think socialist TikTok, that's what yeah. I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The various socialist uh, platforms, I think he can probably avoid uh, to lose them. Uh, or, you know, a lot of those people are going to vote for him anyway and doesn't need to court them. I guess I, when I think, when I say the left, I'm more talking about this, I guess some people would call like imaginary, like non-racist, like white voter in the Midwest who like cares about, you know, like healthcare and jobs and stuff. Um, and it's just feels completely disenfranchised. You know, this is the voting base, the Midwest, essentially, this is the voting base that lost Hillary the election. Yeah. That she, she didn't pay attention to this vote. These aren't necessarily like young socialist, you know, rabble rousers like us. But, you know, they are people that they don't like Trump because he's fucking Trump. But they have felt the brunt of economic neoliberalism for like 30 years, for 20 years or whatever. Um, and they just don't give a fuck. Uh, and, unless it's anything short that uh, of like economic populism. Um some of these people obviously voted for Trump. I do suspect a lot of those people aren't going to vote for him again because of how fucking, I mean, he was bad before. He was probably always this bad, but publicly he has become, you know, lest we forget the Proud Boys. He's, I think there are a lot of people that like cannot physically vote for him anymore, even if they, for some dumb fucking reason, still think he's an economic populist. But I definitely don't think they would vote for Biden if they have been disappointed for 30 years by Democrats already. They only voted for Obama because Obama was an outsider. They voted for Bernie because he was an outsider. Biden, as Trump said like a billion times during that debate, 47 years, which was hyperbole, but it does ring a little true. 47 years in in the Senate and, you know, Biden doesn't have a stellar record to show for it. I would say, though, Trump is not getting, getting any moderates at this point. I agree with you. I 
do think a lot of people understand the severity of like you literally only have two choices and I I'm interested to see how this plays out on election day or I guess what is going to be election week ish I definitely think that Biden's going to take a lot more of the moderates than we're giving him credit for though I hope he does at least because if he has even a few then he's probably got a really good leg up on Trump so let's uh, let's 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 shift gears a little bit here so let's talk a little bit about uh, the proud boys and that whole thing since that that's you know rightfully so the real match in the oil tanker that has really gone off so this was one of my rants Can okay yeah Can let's let's <laughs> let's go right into the rant one of my biggest takeaways from this debate is that the platform has truly become a moral versus economic issue that like the platform on either side the election has literally become like are you going to vote for someone who is neutral or like kind of bad but really just normal at the end of the day or are we going to vote for someone who is loud and proud about the fact that they that they think they are just genuinely better than certain groups of people and it makes me incredibly uncomfortable to see how many people are just okay with the fact that Donald Trump says this racist shit and does this racist shit. Like the amount of times I have seen on Instagram in the past couple of days, like, oh, Donald Trump has denounced white supremacy and he did it back in 2017. You don't get a lifetime pass. Like you are not you don't get written off of white supremacy because you say it's a bad thing one time in 2017. That's like saying, I'm not racist. I have a black friend. You have to, you have to keep saying it. Saying it once isn't enough. Saying it 10 times isn't enough. You are supposed to say it every single day. It should not be acceptable at any point to be racist in any way. And for someone to say, Donald Trump, of all people, the leader of the free world, symbolically, maybe not legitimately, but nonetheless, his position makes him the leader of the free fucking world. If they think he is okay, just saying that he denounced white supremacy once, which he barely did, like his quote, like it says that he's like lukewarm about it or something. The fact that they are saying it's okay that he only said it once is beyond me. And that is what makes it such a black and white issue. Like, I, if anyone that I knew said that they were, if, if anyone that I knew said the shit that Donald Trump said during that debate, then our friendship would end immediately because racism is not okay in any, in, in any situation. And yet somehow people aren't, pe- people were not only like, okay with him saying that, but people are supporting the fact that he says that. And I don't know how I'm supposed to look at my friends who are Trump supporters. I'm not going to say Trump voters because I'm sure there are going to be moderate people who don't like Trump who are voting for him in the same way that I'm voting for Biden. But like Trump supporters boggle my mind at this point. I mean, I, I definitely think that um, that's true. I mean, obviously, but I think it, it, it's, it, it signals to something that's more pervasive and even more dangerous. You know, this is, here's the thing. Uh, we've had arguably almost every president of the United States uh, has been racist by one metric or another. 
I do want to say, Joe Biden's a fucking racist. Yeah, Joe like, Biden is not a good person. <laughs> I mean, less. I, I mean, I don't want to have to pull up all the like Joe Biden racist quotes, uh, but there's a lot of them. Um, it's the fact that Joe Biden could at least get the words out that he denounces white supremacy. It, it might have been a lie, but at least he could get the words out. <laughs> well, yeah, but see, and, and Trump could get because you know he he's been playing stupid ever since uh, Tuesday. But he could have gotten the words out, but he knows that they the, they have his back. They have his back, um, and he likes that. He likes that power. And for this, anyway, this is all feeding into what makes Trump special. Almost every president has been racist um, by one metric or another. But Trump, is, he's not just a racist, right? He, he's a pseudo-fascist pseudo or just a fascist, your choice. Um, but fascist-esque in the sense of he, it, it's more that about, you know, making racial stereotypes or such thing. He is feeding into a narrative of white supremacy um, and a white supremacist system, uh, a, white, a white supremacist ideology um, that is, was dormant in a good chunk of the American population, but is slowly becoming more and more acceptable and not only acceptable, but um, a, a real calling card. That's the danger of it is, like I said, like this, the reason why the Republican pundits and the Republican establishment hate Trump, I'm, oh I'm going to sound like fucking Ben Shapiro. The reason why the Republican establishment hates him so much because Donald Trump says the truth. He says the truth of what they're all thinking and what they're all dog whistling all the time. George Bush, George fucking Bush, you know, won partially because of racism, because, you know, the, the, ever since the fucking 70s and the, the Southern strategy, the Republican Party's been tapping in on racism to win every fucking election. That's how they win. But Republican or uh, Trump revealed the fucking game and, and, and took it to its natural conclusion of, well, you know, these Republican politicians have been like dog whistling you for 40 years of like a white supremacist fucking nationalist state. I'll actually give you the whole fucking cake. I'll actually give it to you. I'll stop teasing you. <laughs> you can yeah. just have it. <laughs> and, they f and they'll eat it up. Now it's instead of, you know, like white supremacist begrudgingly going along with Republican moderates, now it's Republican moderates begrudgingly going along with white supremacists. That, say it again for the people in the back. I like what you said there. It's the, and it, you, so we saw it all unfold in 2015-16 was these Republicans went in, okay, yeah, yeah, you know, Trump's going to be on all these debate stage, but ultimately the Republican moderate establishment has the power and, you know, the flyover country is going to vote for us no matter what. And Trump flipped the script and said, no, no, uh, we're, I'm going to wipe the floor with all, every single multiple, like 10 establishment candidates. They had like a different flavor each week. You know, you had um, Jeb Bush and Carson and, and, um, I don't even remember the names anymore. Marco no. Rubio, uh, Ted Cruz. Oh my God, I forgot he ran for president. <laughs> yeah. And it just, none of it worked because they, they empowered their base too much. It's what we wish would happen on the left. They, they, they like, you know, they teased them. They teased them for so long that finally they took over and, and took the control. So in this, I mean, I hate, you know, 
actually, I take that back. I don't hate to make this comparison. You know, maybe four years ago, I would have been like, well, you know, that's like a little hy- hy- hyperbolic or it's kind of productive. But let's talk about Nazi Germany for a moment, okay? You had the radical right fascists, uh, white supremacists, take over the government in the early 30s. And it, and the, but the only reason they were able to do that was because the right-wing moderates and just moderates went along with it. If they hadn't gone along with it, that would have never happened. And that is what is currently happening in the Republican Party is you've got a couple of like uh, uh, Republican elites that have like jumped over to Joe Biden, but a lot of them are just going along with the program. And at least in my mo- mind, they're just as guilty uh, of what will, will transpire as, you know, even if they're only reluctantly supporting Trump, as the actual, like, white supremacists who are voting for him. I, I agree with that. Do you think the Republican Party can return back to the way it was before 2016? No. No. Old. So no. what do you think happens to, to the Republican Party now? Do you think it's going to, like, fracture? or Because that, that was the bet that I had for a couple of years now. It's, it's going to fracture into at least two parties in our lifetime. So I have my doubts of us becoming a three-party, four-party state just because of the way the system is designed. It's, it's very, it hasn't happened in America in 150 years. If it were to happen, it would happen in the next 10 years, though, I will say that. Um, but I think that's the less likely option. I think I've thought about it a lot. I think there's kind of two ways you can look at it. Um, the like, I think there's one where we're like, that will happen soon that is happening right now is the Republican party will just become the full fascist party and the Democrats will become the Republican party, which is we're already seeing because this, the slow progression is happening right now with the Democrats where you're seeing um, wealthy moderate Republicans move to the Democrats. That is a signal that we are starting to switch. Trump is starting to get a lot of the poor voters that the, that used to be part of the base of the, uh, the Democratic Party, and the Democrats are getting a lot of the rich donor class that was part of the Republican Party. There's a current slow shifting of, of, of people. So I think what you'll see is um, probably a full-on like national socialist, just in the same way that uh, Hitler, you know, killed like millions of people, but he built roads and shit. You know, he fucking built roads. He made jobs happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so kind of playing in on some of these populist ideas, I think the Republican Party will become, unfortunately, I think I see a future where they become the actual populist party, fascism and all, but they'll also probably have some sort of like white supremacist-esque like healthcare plan. And, uh, you know, they'll build roads and shit. Um, and the Democrats will become much more the corporatist party. I, I think they're going to become more corporatist, not less uh, in the next four years. What happens to the fucking left? I have no idea. Maybe there is, I can either see maybe there is a third party or fourth party, like you said, or like, and I've heard this theory, maybe like if the fascism part is like stomped out out of the Republican party, the Republican party some far day in the future slowly becomes like more progressive because it w- it is, the demographically, it's getting all the poor people right now. More and more people are going into the Republican party which more normally forms the pace of the left. I, 
I can't even, I, I feel like I would be one of those old people that like refuses change if that actually happened. I'd just be like, I, I don't care. I will never, ever register as a Republican. I mean, think about it this way. The Democratic Party went from fucking Southern Democrat Woodrow Wilson, who was probably one of the most racist presidents we ever had, um, you know, suppressed freedom of speech, uh, you know, staunch segregationist, to FDR, literally, what is that, 15 years later? That's it. Like, total, total shift in, like, 15... 15, 20 years mm-hmm. um, could definitely happen again. Um, but it, it, it has to do with the fascist element. That's, see, that's what this, I think the whole thing is, is, is relying on. Is fascism stomped out of mainstream politics? If it's not, then we're in some sort of hellscape where we have the fascist party <laughs> and the Republican party, uh, which is now the, the Democratic party. So we have the Republican party versus the fascist party, which is just the post Imagine if those were your options. I mean, we're, we're halfway there already uh, to that being our options. We're in a Republican light. The thing is, the United States would, <laughs> the United States would probably just burn in flames, like within 10 years of that happening. I think that's the only caveat there. <laughs> but I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it really does come down to, yeah, the fascist element. Um, because that's the thing. Like, if Trump loses if okay not even if trump loses because even if he loses as we know that might not be enough let's if trump loses and he is removed from office one way or the other and we have a new president in january um does that end the fascist movement of the united states no does it it strengthen it or does it just go into hibernation i think it goes into hibernation until another trump can run for office which probably will be 2024 Joe Biden said it himself, like it's going to be more of the same with him in office. I think that there's going to be a lot less unity within the fascist movement that's currently growing in the country because it used to be centered around like make America great again rallies. And when you're no longer the president, then really there's no well, reason. Unless to Trump keeps rallies. just doing rallies anyway. Oh my God. I honestly think Trump could just run as president in exile because he's never going to accept it. Even if they physically remove him from the office, he'll just say, I'm still president. And he'll just keep running around the country doing rallies saying he's the president for years until he's dead. He, he will be president until he is dead in his mind. His abortions, he is president for life. He is in the Roman style. He is dictator for life. Uh, and nothing, no election, amount of election results will change that. So I kind of wonder if that's what Trump will do. Um, if he'll just go full on, like, I'm still the president and just keep marching around the country for years and just cause absolute havoc in his wake. I personally would love to see that so I could laugh at him. (laughs) But I think it would also lead to, like, organized violence. Right now we have sporadic violence, but I think we'd see more organized violence under a Trump, or not under Trump, well, under a Trump administration as well, but under a Biden, especially if Biden croaks halfway through and Kamala Harris becomes president, then you really have violence in the streets. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I guess this is this is a large tangent. Uh, just to say, it, yeah, I think Trump is racist, but that's small potatoes. You know, that's not, it's like that's like saying, 
oh wow trump support you know the u.s president supports war in other countries like you know they all support (laughs) you know but it's 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 that he's not just using racism as a dog whistle to get a couple of like disgruntled racist voters on his side It, it it's not it's not um it's not part of the plan it is the plan that's the difference between him and former presidents you know racism is just a tool in an arsenal uh but fucking racism is the fucking tool that is the whole reason this is happening uh, and yeah. in the same vein like while we're talking about trump's support base i will say this when i watched the debate the first time i was kind of looking at it through not like a Republican lens, but I was trying to walk into the debate as neutral as possible. Like I was, I was trying to take on the position of the undecided voter when I watched the debate on Tuesday. And I imaginary undecided voter. Yeah. Uh, I will say I can see why certain people, this is going to sound really shitty, but Hear me out. I'm gonna see why sir I, I see why certain people voted for Trump in the first place. And I see why certain people are gonna vote for Trump again because they don't want to let go of their initial idea of him. Because as someone who operates with a business mindset, since that's what I'm studying, it's very clear that Donald Trump is running the presidency like he is a CEO. Like he doesn't think he's a president in a political sense. He thinks he is a president of like a company and the United States is that company. And he said so himself, like when they were talking about COVID vaccines, uh, he said he had access to them because he's going outside of like political streams or like he's going outside of political circles to access them, which means he has to be using his business network he has to be using the the network that he had from before he was the president. And it like tingled like a nerve in the back of my neck that just like reminded me of what I'm learning about in business, like the back room, or we don't learn about backroom deals, but like when you learn about management, you learn about how you sometimes need to work one-on-one with other managers and other organizations to get like what you think is the best thing for the organization. And I see how that applies to his platform. He seems to only really be interested in lowering the price of goods for Americans. And I see why people like that because it's literally just like cheap thing, good vote for vote for orange man. He's bringing football back too. Yeah. And he's bringing football back. And it's, it's the people like my dad, my dad is someone who is from the Midwest, largely moderate, Voted for Trump in 2016, probably going to vote for Trump again in 2020 because he is someone who grew up poor and he didn't, he grew up not having the time to worry about, oh, is this good produced ethically? He only had the time to worry about, I need to shop at Walmart because Walmart has the cheapest shit. I'm going to buy everything from Walmart because that's what I can afford. All my dad cares about is getting the price of goods as low as possible because he grew up poor. And I see how in 2020, Trump is attracting poor people, but Trump is also just attracting moderates because even young moderates, like people in our age group are going into one of the worst economies in years. I won't say decades, but they're going into a shitty economy. And I can see how 
someone promising to lower the price of goods and someone delivering on lowering the prices of goods is appealing to them. But you also, like he is getting supporters who aren't looking at like the moral side of his platform. And I don't think that's okay. I think we should be considering morality in all decisions, but um, some people just don't. Hey, they always say Nazi Germany had a zero unemployment rate. So you can't say he didn't make jobs. With that said, you know, I think what we're seeing with, so if you kind of take like Ayn Rand and Rush Limbaugh, you know, you know, 70s and 80s, you know, this kind of like stewing, like rough etched ideology this, uh, that kind of started forming in the minds of Americans during the Reagan era. This is like the final form. Trump is the, he is introducing us to the final form of these like, these seeds that have been growing for 40 years in the American consciousness. And it's fascism, surprise. Uh, it's, it's, it's pseudo-fascism, um, populist fascism, I should say. And, uh, and Trump is success, I would say successfully navigating that road fairly well uh, for various reasons. So I think you kind of talked about how people want cheap goods, you know? And that's such a basic thing. I think a a real reason that Democrats have had a hard time is Democrats always assume the sale when it comes to economic issues. They say, well, yeah, we're Democrats. We're good on economics. (laughs) Ha ha. Anyway, let's talk about social issues. Um, But the truth is you can't assume the sale on that, right? That is that is the issue you need to be pushing every every election is is at least balanced economic because we live in a very difficult at least by my approximation we live in a difficult if you're trying to run a campaign you have you have to make a very tough choice and I was reading a blog post I wish I could remember the name um, but was talking about internal internal like the internal workings of the Hillary Clinton campaign and why they one of the reasons main reasons they failed was the because this problem the Democrats have had for the past 20, 30 years is, do we court racists? Do we court racists, okay? Like, let's get real for a second, okay? At least a third of the country's racist. Like, in very, you know, different metrics, but in one way or the other, a third of the country is racist. So then you have to decide as, which most of these Democratic candidates are, they are, on average, upper-class, well-educated liberals, um, cosmopolitan, you know, do they want to court racists? Well, if you're in like a campaign room with, you know, minority groups and women and, and you're all like just talking about strategy, you'd be like, should we be like talking about like um, important issues to like the African-American community, the Latino community, social issues, gay marriage, all these sort of things. Or should we like try to like appeal to like the racist coal miners in the Midwest? From just a purely like groupthink perspective, you'd be an idiot to be like, yeah, let's go appeal to fucking racists in Idaho or whatever the fuck. Be like, no, let's appeal to the issues that yeah. are concerning our immediate like supporters. On a surface level, one really would think that there's more marginalized groups in the United States then there are racists. Like logically in my mind would go, I want to appeal to marginalized groups over a single group of like the same kind of person. See, I think that's difficult because you take the like Latinos, for example, they're 
well, they're not split split, but there are a lot of Latino Trump supporters. Yes. Um, because Latino it's, it's itself as a term is kind of a very loose definition that combines a lot of different people and, and, and a lot of people in socioeconomic conditions as well uh, together in, in one group. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, just demographically, yeah, we are at a turning point, very near a turning point where minorities are about to outnumber everybody else. But we are witnessing the death throes, I guess you could say, of white supremacy as far as being a, majorator, uh, a majoritarian ideology. Soon, it, it, in and of itself, it will be a minority ideology. In 50, 60 years, white supremacists can never be like, oh, we're going to make a white ethno state if white people are only like 35% of the population. It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and you won't get enough voters because you don't have a majority anymore. They barely have a majority now. They don't. They only have a majority because of like fucked up political system. Um, so they're on the way out. But, but right, that's exactly the problem is that they are still here until they're on the way out. And so I think that the problem is, but do we court racists, period? And in the 60s, 50s, 40s, and 30s, you know, the, the, what people would call like the height of like democratic power, um, at least since like, you know, FDR, you know, since the Democrats did like a party switch, the answer would be, um, we're just gonna ignore the race question. We're gonna <laughs> ignore the race question. Uh, and then the 60s, they're like, we can't ignore this anymore. We're going to talk about race and the republicans instantly like okay well we'll take all your racist voters that were like let's be real like no one's talking i mean no one really wants to acknowledge it but like there were a lot of racists supporting fdr and supporting truman and supporting jfk even not as many but i mean just this kind of the entire poor south supported all of them like yeah, of I mean, the they south had was a crazy blue. number of racist but uh, or- yeah i mean the south is fucking blue until the 60s I mean, they got a lot of segregationists who were supporting the Democratic Party um, and supporting, you know, the how said the Green New Deal, the the New Deal, and you know, all the FDR policies um, was this like very weird, loose conglomeration between like black voters, like racists, and like a lot of other minority groups and cosmopolitan, um, uh, cosmopolitan whites. Um, this very broad coalition, but it got fucking broken up in the sixties and the Democrats have been fucked ever since. So, cause you say ethically, well, you shouldn't be courting like racist voters. Repu- you, know, you can argue, well, you can either court a racist voter with racism, Trump, Bush, etc., or you can court a racist voter with like economic goodies. Um, but I think a lot of liberals are uncomfortable cause they're like, well, they're still racists you know, and they shouldn't be courted at all. We don't want, we don't want them in our coalition. It boils down to, we are at an interesting turning point where in, I think 20 or 30 years, you could run a legitimately like liberal, like socially liberal party and have like no problems. Um, because, you know, the, there's this, the, the, we are becoming a more diverse nation. Uh, but right now it is, you still, you could argue Biden is betting on getting some of those racist moderate votes right now in the Midwest. He is fucking oh, betting on it uh, to do it. But of course, at the same time, he can't publicly say that. He can't publicly say, well, you know, even though you're racist, we need you to win right mm-hmm. now. 
as long as you're not as racist as Trump, that's okay. Yeah, I don't know where the fuck that was going. That was just like, <laughs> once again, a tangent. But I guess my final point on that is, and I guess we'll kind of start to wind down here in a minute. Uh, I, I'm sure you, I'm sure you have one more rant left in you. Oh, yeah. So what I don't do want Forest management? Hello? Oh, yeah, yeah. We should talk about that, a forest management. The whole climate change shit was fucking... A hundred trillion dollars for the Green New Deal. Larger than the global economy. We're making his pockets hurt, okay? <laughs> We're running a check. Uncle Sam's the sugar daddy now. So... It was interesting. I was like listening to that part uh, intensely when they were talking about climate change and um, Chris Wallace was like, you know, do you support like, you know, human created climate change? And he said it twice. Trump's like, I want clean air, clean water. And we've done it. Immaculate water. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so, and that was interesting because, you know, that was like a very Nixon way of looking at it because Nixon did the Clean Water Act. He did some tepid environmental protection. And that's what Trump went after. He's like, well, you know, I don't want the, you know, I don't want the country to be shitty, but human-made climate change? I don't think so. I don't think so. And then Biden kind of came in with, like, a decent defense, I guess, at least by American standards, um, until he, like, threw the Green Deal out the window. But at the same time, I do understand why he did that, because it was a trap uh, to associate him with the radical left. Mm-hmm. But, so, Yeah. Uh, but yes, of course, forestry, California doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. He gets a call every year from California about the trees being on fire. <laughs> so, yes, let's talk about forest management. Yeah. Since uh, apparently the fires out west are at the fault of state lawmakers yeah. and uh, the people protecting national parks specifically. Um, I'm taking a management class this semester. Uh MAN 3025, Principles of Management. I highly recommend it. It's a great class. Um In the class, we learned the technical definition of management, and management is defined as the pursuit of organizational goals efficiently and effectively by integrating the work of people through planning, organizing, leading, and controlling the four principal functions of being a manager and organization's resources. So to go back, the four basic functions of a manager at any level, you could be the manager of a McDonald's or you could be like the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. At the end of the day, your job is to plan, lead, organize, and control. Everything you do falls into one of those four categories. Planning is the primary function. It is the first thing you do. It is the most important part. And one of the largest parts of planning that we are learning about in this class is that it is the manager's job to determine who works below them. Who is the manager that they hire as the regional manager? Who is the regional manager going to hire as the first line manager? Like at the end of the day, it all comes back to the C-suite manager who hired every manager below him, right? When Donald Trump sits here and says that it is a fault of forest management. That is what is causing the West to burn. It is literally him 
admitting to his own fault because he is the top manager of the United States as the president. It is his job to make sure that the people who are maintaining the land of just not just the national parks, but the nation itself, the people maintaining the land that Donald Trump is the president of, it is his job to ensure that they are doing what is supposed to be protecting the land that he is the president of. He, I forget the cabinet position that like, works with the environment specifically, but hiring someone who is against climate change, who is a climate change denier as an environment in an environmental cabinet position was a mistake on his end in the first part. And I'm, I guarantee that if you really looked at like an analysis of what's going on out West and you tracked it like down to who makes all of the decisions that caused the fires that are going on out there or not caused, but made them worse than they are, than they already are. It comes down to the funding that we're getting for conservation and the planning that the managers that Donald Trump appoints put into their job. So I'm, I'm going to actually, uh, for the sake of, of conflict, because everyone loves conflict, I'm going to only half agree with you on this, on this forest management point. And I'll tell you why. So I agree Trump knows, has no fucking idea what he's doing with the environment. He doesn't give a fuck. His, his cabinet doesn't give a fuck. Nice people give a fuck. But with California and a lot of what's going on in the Midwest, it is a more nuanced and complex problem that I think is difficult to pin on one person because it has a lot to do with climate change is part of it. That is definitely increasing the fires. Um, but it also has to do with just like the very idea of forest conservation because the way we do forest conservation in most of this country and especially in California basically comes down to, or at least traditionally, not as we're changing it now, but at least traditionally has boiled down to, uh, we are going to uh, put out fires. We're gonna put out fires. The, but the problem is these forests need to burn to be healthy, they have to burn every once in a while. Uh, that's how the whole, that's the, how the system, eco, ecology of California and all those, those redwood forests and shit work is they have to burn. But of course, as a policy, as a politician, that's, you don't want to say that because the truth of the matter is people live there now. Like it didn't matter, you know, for tens of thousands of years because no one lived there. I mean, Native Americans lived there, but Native Americans knew to just get the fuck out of the way, uh, pick up and move, and then come back later. You can't do that now. People've got big houses in these areas, white suburban big houses in these areas now. So if you were to just let the environment do its thing like it's supposed to, you would still end up with fires every year and houses being destroyed every year. So that's not as much of a fucking option anymore. So yes, it's nuanced. So basically now it all has to be done manually because basically what happens is all you get all the brush under the trees and then it fucking catches fire. And if you just put the fires out all the time, the brush just accumulates, then you get hotter fires, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, suffice it to say, it's a complex issue, so, and Trump actually doesn't have, national parks have been some of the worst managed, I'll say that, but this is a rare issue where Trump doesn't actually have full power over the management. This is like a hundred years of accumulation of shitty decision-making, colonialist, short-sighted, environmental, shitty decision-making with that specifically. Uh, but yeah, Trump has no fucking room to talk though. He he wouldn't fucking do a thing, even if it wasn't his power. Even if he controlled all the forests in California, he wouldn't fucking do anything. So then to edit my thesis a little bit, if Donald, it, it's not a fault of singular management 
But if Donald Trump is going to point a single finger, it should be at himself. Yeah, I mean, you could just go with the classic, you know, um, even if, you know, you're not directly responsible for it, you're still the boss. You know, if he, hey, if he's running it like a company, he's, he's running the country like a company, then everything that happens under, you know, under you is your responsibility, mm-hmm. you know? So just own it. Like, it's like, like, that's the thing. And this will be my last rant uh, for this evening, unless you've got another, <laughs> unless you've got another. Oh, no, I'm spent. I'm so tired of talking about politics all the time. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a little burnt out today, too, honestly. Um, but for you good people, I'll continue. Um, I think it from a I mean, this is not million psychoanalysis have been done on Trump, but it's just really come, his ego is the reason why he wins and the reason why he loses. People, the truth is people fucking love narcissist leaders. Uh, it's a fucking historical trend. Uh, there's just something about being full of yourself that attracts a certain uh, demographic of people to, 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 to follow you. But on the other hand, this is this 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 furious like unwillingness to admit fault in any way anywhere will just forever make Trump, no matter how powerful he is, an inherently like fucking unhappy, stressed uh, person because he's constantly instead like imagine how much easier if Trump just be like my bad. I fucked that one up. Sorry, I'll do better next time. But it's like spending like days, years, like trying to compensate for these fucking mistakes. And they just keep getting worse and worse and worse. I'm surprised he's not fucking dead. Um, you know, like, I mean, just from stress, like just from fucking stress. Like I'm amazed he's not dead because like Obama had, you know, Obama had like four years of stress. He had like gray hair and he wasn't, I mean, he was lying, but he wasn't doing like the, like these outrageous lies that Trump does about anything. Like, Trump, like literally, he, Trump could like walk down a fucking street and like not wait for the like stoplight, um, the walk sign, and they'd be like, "Hey, did you just?" No, I didn't do that. I didn't. Nope. You know, I, I always follow rules. Matter of fact, nobody follows street rules more than I do. You know, <laughs> I was raised by these streets. <laughs> yeah, I was raised by these streets. He would never. He can't admit fault to anything when like just saying like, "Okay, sorry," would just like make his life so much fucking easier. But that's just the trap of the, the narcissist and the, and, the, and the egomaniac, I suppose. Um, so I, I don't really know. Um, so let, let's, I guess let's kind of do closing thoughts, whatever the fuck that is on this debate. Um, let me ask you two questions. Did this debate change anybody's mind one way or the other? And do you think there will even be another fucking debate and if there is, do you think, how do you expect both candidates to change their strategy? So to answer your first question, uh, survey says no from the people that I've asked. Um, I don't think anyone got any answers about who they're going to vote for out of that. That was more just like a shit show. I think we're probably just going to mulligan that first debate. Um, to answer your second question, the other two dates are already scheduled. Um, October 15th and the 22nd at 9 p.m., baby, is when uh, debates two and three will be happening. Well, Trump could pull out. One of them could pull out if they wanted. I think whoever pulls out, I think if one of them pulls out, they both will. But whoever pulls out first is going to get a very large loss on their campaign. So I don't think either one of them are going to do it. 
Plus, like, if Joe Biden pulls out, Trump's never going to let him hear the end of it. If Trump pulls out, Joe Biden might not let him hear the end of it. I really don't know. But they've also been begging to get put into a room with each other for months now. I don't see why they would call it quits after one debate. Mm. Well, I guess I'm just thinking if they change the rules, like uh, muting the mic, for example. I think they do need to change the rules because whatever bullshit was happening on Tuesday, like that was ridiculous. There's absolutely no place for that as a uh, as as any kind of presidential candidate. There is no place for that. And if you're not going to follow the rules that your campaign agreed to, then you should either be removed from the stage or you shouldn't be allowed to talk. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Um, so then do you, how do you think their strategies will change? Do you think they'll just both go in the same dynamic again? Or do you think like they're, they're going to come off differently? I don't think Joe Biden's going to change his strategy very much because I, he is winning by just not losing right now. As long as he looks better than Trump at the end of the day, then he's fine because he's already leading in the polls. He's got, he's got more to lose, but he's standing on more solid ground than Trump is, which is why like some people are saying that Biden won the debate. He won it by just being as bad as Trump. So I I don't, I think he might like just simmer down a little bit in future debates because it seemed like a lot of his immaturity was in response to Trump's immaturity. I couldn't tell you what Trump's going to do. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, the, my takeaway from the debate was um, worse than expected, somehow. Worse than expected. Uh, pointless. Um, changed nobody's mind, obviously. But I do think, uh, I would not be surprised if Biden probably, will, I think if Biden's not a little bit stronger next time and Trump's a little bit more mellow. Yeah. next time i think that is what should happen <laughs> that is yeah. what needs to happen yeah maybe that's just my self like my my projection like i wish that just would like happen crossing your finger you're manifesting it yeah. trump is going to be more mellow <laughs> um i mean i mean i guess really i should be wishing he's not mellow but to be honest i don't think it fucking matters either way what he does but um yeah i think we'll see a more comedic trump next time and i think we'll see a little bit stronger biden mm-hmm. um like I said, physically, because like it was weird. The second time I listened to the debate, I listened to it just mostly audio. And Joe Biden came off a lot better. Like when you were just listening to him, because uh, you just hear Trump going like this in the background and Trump or and Biden talking like um, talking like a normal fucking person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, on, uh, but watching it digitally, it makes Biden look worse uh, watching it like physically. But anyway, I digress. Uh, that's kind of my views. So yeah, I guess that was a, you know, I guess that was a, a nice little debate we had. So mm-hmm. looking forward to the next one. I'm personally looking more forward to the vice presidential debate. Oh my God. Yes. I'm so excited for that. Next Wednesday. Oh, is it next Wednesday? I should know these things. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe, maybe y'all can expect an episode for that too. I suppose we'll see. Uh, because that'll be the probably the only debate with real policy in it anyway. <laughs> it's probably uh, the only debate we could be covering. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll actually, we can actually do like a real policy uh, uh, analysis for that one, uh, hopefully. Um, but I think that's it for me. Is that for you? That's it for me. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you all for listening to this uh, series of Rambles and Rants. Uh, I have been uh, Chris Stanza with Empower Hour. 
I has uh, yep, I have been Victoria <laughs> Zamatello. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for coming in. We're cu- thanks, thank you. Mm, I'm gonna edit that part <laughs> uh, Thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thoughts, questions, concerns. You want to tell us how much you like the show? You know where to go. Email us at host at empowerourradio.com. Everything's just fine.